Welcome to the Clear-Headed Podcast. I'm Kate Madry, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. This is the podcast that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their sobriety. Super LA of me, but I like to start every episode with a deep breath in. So if you're driving to work or you're on your way to run some errands or maybe you're in bed getting ready to wind down, let's just start with a deep breath in and out. Okay, let's get clear-headed. Okay, I want you to think of who you were in 2014. (laughs) I know. I was new to LA, a year out of high school, and a mess. (laughs) My guest today and I met during that mess and have stayed friends since. Cole Garrett is a comedian and producer for Don't Tell Comedy events all over the US. He's also a sober friend. If you haven't noticed by now, this is not an under 30 minute episode. There were too many good jokes, good stories, and great anecdotes that I could not keep this under a half hour. It's really crazy the things we've individually been through since our party days. And it's beautiful that we both are where we are now. Like so many other people we've talked to on the show, Cole's moment of clarity started with a build. I was like a functioning addict. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I ever hit that rock bottom where yeah. I was like, this is the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in bed crying. I was like a fun drug addict. You know, I'd go out and have fun and then I would, I think I would regret it the next day. But it was like those moments, although when you're on drugs or you're you're boozed up and you feel like, oh, you know, I was blacked out or whatever. I don't remember. You do have those, those are memories. Yeah. And they do stick with you. And that's kind of like what, I was realizing, I'm like, these are adding up and I don't feel good. And each time it would happen on top of that, it would feel worse and worse. And like, obviously there were like actual big moments. Yeah. There were like moments that I can like think of now where I'm like, oh wow, like I was really, really slipping. Like one time in particular, like I I was trying to get a job at this restaurant and I really wanted this restaurant job, like really, really badly. I kept going back over and over and over just to get an interview. And I finally got the job and I was so stoked. And we were about to go into like this very, very intense three-day workshop where we had to learn the menu. And the night before I s- stayed up all night and I was supposed to be at this restaurant at like 7 a.m. <sighs> and I literally like was looking at my phone like, oh, it's 6.30 in the morning and I have not slept. And I remember just like going to the to the actual like workshop and like showing up and like not knowing what I'm gonna say. I'm just like shaking. I've like been, you know, up all night partying. Yeah. And and I like walked in and I just like looked at the manager and he was like, You good? And I was like, I'm sick. <laughs> he's like, Are you okay? And I go, I don't feel good. And he's like, And you came here to tell me that? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, okay, do you want to go home? And I was like, yeah, if I could, I would like to go home. And I went home. And luckily, I didn't get fired, which is insane. I know. I can't believe I didn't get fired. But like, that is one of those moments where I was like, okay, I really need to take a look at myself. Even though I didn't get sober till probably two years after that, yeah. that is just one of those defining moments where I look back on and I'm like, okay, like that was crazy. Yeah. That I was like actually doing that. 
I know, and it was normalized. It was normal. It was, I was totally I just kept normal. living my life. I was like, well, right. I still have my job. Right, right. <laughs> just kept doing it. That perspective of like a high-functioning like addict or user, however you see yourself, I definitely relate to that because when I decided to get sober, I almost every single person in my life went, what? Mm. Are you kidding? And it's so important, I think, to hear stories like yours too where you can acknowledge it or you can take a look and reflect on these moments like what you're talking about, which I call them like little seeds, Mm -hmm. where they're planted and you realize that there can be growth if you decide to look at those seeds and water them and grow from them and and realize that maybe your garden's growing full of freaking weeds and you're in the weeds and you can like tend to your garden of like health and nourishment and wellness. I love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's beautiful. I know. Thank you. So it sounds like that's what you did. Yeah, totally. And like I've had the same exact experience from like friends and family yeah. who I've told. And you know, I think there's a stigma behind the word addict. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Totally. And I use the word loosely. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, they hear the word addict or addiction and immediately they go to meth user with their teeth falling out in a crack house you know life in shambles home you know Mm -hmm. but like to me i would consider myself i was a functioning addict i am an addict but that to me is just that just means that i personally had an unhealthy relationship with the drugs and alcohol that i was doing yeah other people can do you know i have friends who are very good at drinking. They're very, very good at drinking. And there are people who are good at drinking. I think a lot of people are not. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know that they're really bad at it. Yeah. And if you were to, you know, use the word addict around them, it would, oh, very defensive. And no, no, not me. Right. But, uh, you know, I've got friends who are doctors. And... I'll I'll watch them crush 12 White Claws. And then they get up at 7 a.m. and they go to the gym. And then they they immediately get their life right back to every single time. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, that's the thing is, I don't think that everyone should not drink. And I think that's what a lot of people think that sober people think. Right. That like alcohol, it's like, no, I've I've seen people use it responsibly and that are good at doing it. But that's just not me. Yeah. And and I recognized that in myself that I, I don't. I'm 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 full throttle. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I'm right there with you. I can't do it. If that was me, twelve white claws. The next morning, I'm like, where where are we going for brunch? Yeah, we're doing bottomless mimosas. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point to talk about because I do think there's so many things that you just touched on. First, the stigma about the word addict. I think our society and like in the entertainment industry especially has painted this picture that we grew up seeing like kind of like with E.T. Like E.T. came out, we all saw an alien and we were like, that's what all aliens look like. Yeah. So then we're like, well, if it doesn't look like that, it's not an alien. Right. And that's how it is with addicts. It's like I've seen all of these people on TV and film fall off the wagon, look like this, look like you're, how you described. And if I'm not that, then I'm not an addict. Or mm-hmm. if I think that I could be, it just like pushes away the the graspability. Mm-hmm. New word, I think. Yep, yep. we New just did word. it. We just did it. Log it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly what you were saying you, though, and yeah. I think it was the perfect word. The graspability. Yeah. yeah, I love it. The graspability of saying like, this is a category in which I fit. Mm-hmm. And like, because that's not graspable, 
and it's not attainable and it's not right there for a lot of people, it prevents them from like doing better or mm-hmm. getting better or reevaluating or taking a seven day cleanse or taking a 30 yeah. day break. And it's just seems less approachable. Mm-hmm. So absolutely true. I love your definition of how you see yourself as like an addict. Just somebody mm. who doesn't have a, a healthy relationship with the substances they were using. Also, I think that the judgment that you were describing that I think a lot of people assume sober people have on other people. One, I mean, I can really only speak to my story and I'm sure you have a relatable point of view. Like I just went to uh, a Friendsgiving in November. Everybody there had maybe two glasses of wine Mm -hmm. and then they stopped. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have never seen that or done that. So that's so foreign to me. But it's amazing. Are, it's magic. It's magic yeah, in a you're bottle. Like, what? You guys don't. You guys we, don't want to open up another bottle. Yeah. Should we like Wait, what? Are we not yeah. gonna go out after this? And are you guys like, losers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> losers. Yeah. You guys have it together. Are you guys not fun. <laughs> but the point is, is that there are people out there who don't have a necessarily huge unhealthy relationship with alcohol or with drugs and. Yeah. But I also think on the flip side of it, my opinion, and I'd like to know yours mm-hmm. too, I think anybody can get there. I think it's mm. not super hard to uh, get to an unhealthy relationship with alcohol because I do think it's like a, it's a substance. It's it's just legal and it's just a big part of our economy and uh, our yeah. society. Yeah. And so, you know, taking stock of how you view it, I think is important. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that's not something that we do. I think everyone, not everyone, but uh, many, many people sort of launch themselves into drinking before they've really like processed what it is. Because that's kind of like, that's our society. You know what I mean? It's like, everyone's just waiting to turn 21. We're all, we, we, we spend 21 years of our lives just waiting in the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) Just like one, it's going to be my time soon. Yeah. And we see, we see <laughs> parties and drinking and drugs. It's so it's so glorified mm-hmm. in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see your parents do it. Like my parents were big boozes. Yeah. Big, big boozes. <laughs> and so when I saw them drinking, I'm like, that looks like fun. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of like, and then, but you hear growing up, and I talk about this a lot too, when I'm talking to like other sober people, it's crazy because it's like, there's so much bad like, language and so many bad expressions that are said so frequently when you go like you hear your mom come home you know she had a long day like oh you know oh i am just having the worst day ever i need a vodka yeah and you you grow up hearing that mm-hmm. or you know my dad was a huge patriots fan and when the pats would lose it would be like all right break out the whiskey the patch lost so it was like oh we're associating negative feelings this is how we deal with negative feelings right. we we grab booze right. and you like that it sounds silly but it's like that is instilled in you Absolutely. you you think like oh what hell yeah like one day i'm going to be able to like drink when i'm sad yeah <laughs> you know yeah and when i'm happy and when i'm happy it's all the things it's, it's all the whole the cycle it is and it's attached to every single event in life i know every event you can tie drinking to it is it's it's a weird thing to sort of growing up and then you know going through all of those events in your life birthdays 
graduations, any type of celebration, Super Bowl, you name it, you drink on those occasions. And then so the, that becomes your norm. Oh yeah, we're gonna go over to grandma's house or whatever and we're gonna crack a couple beers. Yeah. It's so and so's birthday. We're gonna get, you know, lit. That that's the weirdest thing when you get sober is removing the booze from those events and realizing, okay, like what does this mean to me now? What was that like for you when you first got sober? Like if you can go back to your first three months or something. Yeah. What time of the year did you get sober? It was October. Okay. So you coming up on those holidays. Yeah, it was coming up on the holidays. It was actually a pretty, so the first five months or so were like pretty brutal because you got you got Halloween, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, all the Christmas stuff. You've got New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. And then in February, I had a bachelor party planned with, it was my buddies. And like nine of us were renting an RV and going on like a week long trip. We were going, it was a big snowboarding trip. We were going through Vegas and then making our way all the way up to Jackson Hole. And it was just gonna be a giant party. Yeah. And of course we planned it like a year in advance. So when I told my buddy, oh yeah, cause I didn't tell anyone I was gonna go sober sober. Okay. I was telling everyone I'm just doing it for a year. Yeah, I think that's safe. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna do it for a year yeah. and see how it goes. Yeah. Because all my friends, you know, my my friends are all bros. Yeah. From Orange County. Right. It was devastating to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were broken. They were like, they thought they were gonna lose me. I know. And I know. so I was like, I'm just doing it for a year. It's okay. Yeah. And so that was tough to like break it to my buddy who was getting married. He's like, But you're gonna you're gonna drink on the trip, right? And I'm like, No. And he's like, we'll see about that, you know? And it was like very- So interesting. Oh, oh yeah. People were not, my friends w- did not receive it well, the news at all. It was it was tough. But yeah, that, that bachelor party came around and I was about, you know, October. So yeah, I was like five months, five months in. And we were like, we were in a Vegas suite. Oh, by the way, this is the other part of it. I rolled my ankle two weeks before. So um, I didn't end up snowboarding at all. I was in a, I was in a literal wheelchair. <laughs> so, so you were like, if you thought you could just escape on yeah, the slopes, yeah, good yeah, luck. Yeah, so I was in a wheelchair, which for some reason made it more difficult. And and my friends were just like in this suite in Vegas, like partying so hard and just, you know, doing drugs and, and having a time. And yeah. And I sat in the corner and just kind of watched them. And there was like, there was a brief moment yeah. where I almost cracked. Totally. I was like, I started justifying it in my head. I know that's where it starts, right? I was like, what if I just do a little? You have like a little a conversation little, and an yeah. internal combo. And then maybe I, maybe I just restart. Right. Next week. Right. And I, I, kind of realized I was trying to talk myself into it, and I was like, what am I doing? And I just sat in it and just didn't do it. And what was crazy was the next day when I realized I had gotten through it, I really was like. If I can get through that, I can get through any situation. Yeah. That was the that was the ultimate test for me. That was the All Olympics my, of sobriety. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was. It was. I felt pretty good after that. I was like, I'm I'm gonna be able to do this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What about for you? I didn't have any super, super tempting events like you did. But mm-hmm. I do think we all go through them. Hundred percent. Even if you're cutting cake out of your life. Yeah. You're going to go to a party and there's going to be freaking cake. Right, right. So like you cut dairy out, you're going to go to a really good Italian restaurant and they're going to ask, do you want cheese on that? Like it's going to happen. And 
sitting in it like you did I think is so important and not everybody does it their first go right like yeah, their first yeah, try okay. at the Olympics and that's okay it's totally cool yeah if you if you don't totally okay but you will get these opportunities to get that gold medal so mm-hmm. to say of of observing and abstaining mm-hmm. and I have found that it's tempting at first but it does hit a point where you realize wow everyone has taken like four or five shots and they all look awful yes. or this looks now yes. awful yes no one's making sense it's not a good everyone look. thinks they're so freaking funny yep. i don't even understand the joke yep so it does take the glorification of being in that state away i think the more you see it the more you're like wow i really wasn't funnier i really yeah. wasn't more charming yes. i wasn't sexier i wasn't yeah. more put together i was a freaking mess yeah you see that and you go was that me? <laughs> and it and was. And the answer is yes. Absolutely. Ding, it's ding, 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 yes. Ding. Yes. It, it is you. <laughs> Absolutely. I literally work with drunk people. That's my job. Yeah. Like, like totally with as, don't tell. Yes, as you know, uh, as a comic, you, that's like the number one type of person that you interact with. Yeah. It's like it's every night. Yeah. You have someone coming up, say, hey, do you? I like do jokes too sometimes. And you're like, oh no, here we go. go. Here's the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) But it's crazy to see how people act and the spectrum of the, of the type of person. It's like it, I mean, it's crazy too. Cause you'll see like a, a dude who's like in his late sixties and he's just blasted and so unaware. And you're like, you've gone your whole life not being self-aware I know. and 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 that's okay it's okay if he's happy great right I'm, right but it scares you when you see something like that because you're like the same thing like that could have been me totally and and that was me before and that's crazy looking to enjoy a guilt-free drink at the end of the night or during a party With free spirits, the ceremony and socialization of cocktails can remain without compromising taste or your well-being. Free spirits honors the nose, taste, and mouthfeel of traditional spirits while skipping the fermentation process. Each one of the free spirits is infused with vitamin B3 and B6 along with naturally uplifting amino acids like taurine. So you're doing your body good. Want to join me for a better drink? Head to drinkfreespirits.com and get yours. When you look back on the times that you were drinking, do you ever feel shame? Have you ever felt shame? Oh, yeah. And how do you deal with it? Because I don't think necessarily that shame is the healthiest way to feel when you think about mm. yeah. the unupdated version of yourself, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, I think I definitely felt more shame when I was still doing it. Mm-hmm. When I would look back on on you know, those times that I would consider shameful. I mean, especially when you're doing drugs like uppers, like cocaine and stuff like that, when you are doing those types of things, you tend to open up to people who you don't even know. And you have these conversations of of grandeur and these like amazing, oh, we're gonna start a business together. <laughs> you right. and me, man, we're gonna open up a bar. Yeah. Like like a lot of those moments I would I would just feel so embarrassed about the next day, like having these just like these unbelievably cringy conversations with people and sometimes I would have them and then I would wake up in the morning and be like was that person even 
like, were we having a conversation or was I just <laughs> spewing? At yes. Them. Was I just spewing at them? And they were like, dear God. <laughs> and obviously, you know, when, when you wake up with like hangovers and stuff like that, I think you feel a lot of, a lot of shame for feeling poorly the next day and wasting time. I think that was, that was the number one thing that I felt shame about was the time I wasted being hungover. And that truly, I think, is one of the most valuable things that I take away from, from being sober now and not, not being in that world anymore is the time that I save now, the time that I have now that isn't spent hungover because you waste so, so, so much time. It's not even just a waste of time, but, but the time that you do spend hungover, it's, it's very toxic mentally because yeah. you're just beating yourself down the whole time. You're like, I feel horrible. Absolutely. I did this to myself. Yep. I'm a piece of shit. Like, why do I keep doing this to myself? And, and you really, I think you're really hard on yourself. You're in a bad state of mind. Yeah. Like when you're coming down off of drugs of and alcohol. Back to your point about, do I feel shame now? No, I don't. I mean, the way that I see it now is like, I've done a lot of things where it's like, yeah, I've been shame. I've, you know, felt shame about the way that I've abused drugs and alcohol and like some things that I've said and done. Obviously, like if you're, if you're an addict, you're going to do and say crazy shit. Yeah. That's okay. But this, the day... The day that I decided to like go sober and, and kind of put everything behind me, I know in my heart, truly, that from that day forward, I have only been trying to be the best version of myself and like wholeheartedly have been a good person. Yeah. From, that, from that day forward, yeah. I have like tried my hardest to like do whatever I can to be a good person to myself and to everyone around me. So I've kind of like left that shame in my past and just have known like, okay, like I'm basically like shedding that old skin and like I'm starting fresh. So I kind of left all that behind me, I feel like. It's so important. Yeah. It's so important to get rid of that weight of shame. Yeah. Because I think, you know, also a lot of times when I hear or when I get asked about my sobriety journey or the lessons that I've learned or whatever, I feel like the conversation gets so fixated on the shit that you did mm. and how much you messed it all up and it's hard to heal when your focus is all of the things that you have done that aren't what you would do now it's this sense of a, a stagnant mental hold mm -hmm. and I think even if you aren't somebody who like has conversations about it or let's say you're sober and, and you're keeping it to yourself, you're keeping it close to chest. It's important to not get stagnant within yourself too and having those conversations and going over it because you can't really grow. So I'm glad you don't feel that way. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. We're good, yeah. thank God. When you decided to get sober, you were with your partner of how how many years had you and Laura been together? This is a good topic. Great. This is a good topic. Amazing, um, guys. Yes, lean in. this was that was that was a very good angle. Um, we had <laughs> been together five, four and a half or five years. Okay. Yeah, just about five actually. And mm -hmm. how how what did that conversation look like between the two of you? I think that like 
she was always down with it. Yeah. Like she saw, we dated for five years. Right. She saw how chaotic yeah. I could be. Yeah. I mean, I think all addicts like to attract a certain level of chaos right. into their lives. It's fun. Yeah. But over a long period of time, it's destructive, no doubt. But like she, she saw how I would act. And I like, honestly, I think like eight out of 10 times I would go out, it would be fine. And then there was like two mm-hmm. where it would just be like, yo. Yeah. Control. Yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. That's enough to like strike concern in your significant other. So when I told her that I was going to like go, she was unbelievably supportive. That was all, that was great. You know, she's not a big drinker like at home. Like we never were. We were never like drink at home type people. It was always just like social, going out, hanging out with friends, pre-gaming, going to bars, parties, whatever. So that the aspect of our like home life didn't really change. So that was nice that it was always kind of like calm and like booze free in the house. But the hard part for sure was the social aspect because I would always consider myself kind of a social butterfly, life of the party type of guy, like coming in mm-hmm. loud, drunk, screaming stories at parties. <laughs> Honestly, I thought that's who I was. I really did until yeah. like two and a half years ago. I was like, oh, that's me. I'm that guy. I'm the guy who's like telling loud stories and joking and like getting everyone to take shots and having so much fun. And it was like, oh, I'm actually not that person at all. And I would go to these parties and I would just kind of sit in the corner and kind of like have small conversations. And no joke, 30 minutes would go by and I wanted to leave so, so bad. So, 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 so <laughs> bad. So that was that was tough because we have, you know, a s- similar friend groups and we'd all be hanging out and I would be like, I want to leave. And she would be like, really? Like, like again? And I'd be like, you can stay. That's fine. I just, I have to leave. That took her a really, a really long time to like understand why I felt that way. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, repetition, this is what it is now. So now we kind of have this thing where it's like, if we go to a place, I'm always like, you know mm-hmm. that I'm only going to stay like an hour tops and then I'm out. And she's like, that's cool. Just come show face, say hi to my friends. Because for a while there, I would just stay home. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I, I would I would just go, no. I started kind of like falling off with my friends a little bit. I stopped seeing them. People were like kind of worried about me. You know, they were like, I don't yeah. see you anywhere. Mm-hmm. We're worried about you. We don't, We feel like you're maybe depressed. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm actually better than I've ever been. I'm so happy. I'm so happy at home. (laughs) I've never been happier sitting at home with my dog. Yeah. But I was anxious is what it was. Yeah. I didn't realize the reason that I'd been drinking so much at these parties was because I was just trying to get rid of like this anxiety that I was carrying around. Such a good point. Yeah. And so valid to not want to go. And so healthy to just do what you want to do in your body in that time. And so good to communicate with your partner, regardless of if you even understand why you feel that way. I think the biggest thing that I've learned when it comes to adjusting to how I am socially is just communicating. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to just be like, I'm really not feeling it. I'm out. You don't even have to know what's going on. And I I would 
I'm curious to know, during those first times out being social where you were like, I just gotta go, did you know why you wanted to leave? Did that evolve? Did you get a better understanding? And then when you communicated that understanding, did it allow for you to get to the place where you are where she's like, just come and show face, then you're out? You know immediately when you walk into a space and you're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think I think part of it, part of it definitely stemmed from the desire to want to join in Mm -hmm. and not being able to and sort of like fighting the feeling of like actually wanting to go grab a drink because that's a very tough thing to do. Like for someone who's trying to quit something, you know, back to your cake reference, Mm -hmm. it's like someone who's like, you know, swearing off of cake and walking through a cake shop. (laughs) It's like that's brutal. Yes. Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Why would you go to a cake shop and look at the cakes and just like (laughs) have your mouth water the whole time? Totally. But that's what I was doing. My mouth was watering in the corner, like Mm -hmm. watching everyone just like drink and have fun. And, And I'm processing that at the same time, I'm feeling like I'm not good at conversing with people. I'm like, oh, have I just like never been good at having conversations with people and like the only thing that was carrying me through them was the booze Mm -hmm. so you're like processing all of these things especially in the first like year of sobriety i I think it takes a while for you to kind of like accept those the the new you i guess yeah and and that's a hard thing to like process in the moment especially because you know i'm a comedian and i'm a people pleaser yeah big time yeah i i'm so concerned all the time with how everyone else is feeling around me all the time if there's a if there's a thing happening i want to make sure that everyone's having fun that everyone's laughing that everyone is like got a drink oh do you need something great and that changed drastically when i stopped drinking because i i felt those things still but i was processing so many other things i was like internalizing all of these things and kind of like sitting in the corner and trying to figure out what to do with myself yeah but i feel like the more time that passed and the more like the more comfortable i became everyone started to no, they're like, oh yeah, look, we don't even offer coal right. drinks anymore. Because yeah. it used to be like, do you want? And it was like, no, I'm good. Uh-huh. No, I'm good. Right. No, I'm good. No, right. I'm good. And it's like, how many no, I'm goods can I do before I'm like, I gotta leave. <laughs> you know? Totally. And eventually, like everyone kind of like figured it out. I started to figure it out. Now it's not even a. It's like second nature. Yeah. No, thank you. Yep. Or just like, oh, I'm I'm so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before, when someone would would ask me. Hey, do you want a beer? I would have to actually think, say do no. I, yeah, yeah. I, I do. Yeah. I do, but say no. <laughs> You're not going to have yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that, and that takes a toll on you. Like each time you have to say no, but you really wanted it. Like that's, right. it's tough. But I'm in a place now, luckily, where like I feel very comfortable in saying no. And I, I truly don't want it. Yeah. Also, when you're like a people pleaser, you want, to have fun with people and you don't you don't want to be the guy who's not drinking that was the hardest thing for me was being the dork in the corner <laughs> it was brutal yeah and i had to i had to become the no guy and i've always mm. been a yes man yeah always yeah you could get me to drink even if even if i had a huge interview the next day you know mm-hmm. that's that's how those things happened because Someone could so, I knew I shouldn't do that before I had that giant workshop at 6 a.m. Right. But someone was like, how about we, and I'm like, okay. Right. Let's do it. I want to make this person happy. And if I say yes, they're going to think I'm cool and then we're going to have a great time and it's going to be fun. So being the person who says like no to things, 
that was by far the hardest the hardest part of all of it. Me too. And I had to reframe my reasoning for saying no, that I wasn't saying no to life or to an opportunity. I was actually saying yes to life and an opportunity. It was just packaged in a no to that person. Yes. So I was saying yes to me every time I was saying no to a drink. And that kept me in that people-pleasing mode. I was just one of the people I was trying to please. That's great. What a healthy, healthy look. <laughs> That's so good. And I, I have honestly never even thought of it that way. I think subconsciously. Right. You get But to like there. that's a great way to like present that idea. Thank you. Yeah. So if you can if you're listening or or if you feel like that's your biggest hurdle, because I think it's a super valid hurdle, mm-hmm. just repackage it if you can. If you can and if you can try to just think about repackaging your nose into yeses to yourself. I think it'll make it easier. And also like with what you did, which was say, I'm just going to say it's for a year. And maybe that year needs to be minimized to you're just saying, I'm just saying it for a week or I'm just saying it for 30 Mm -hmm. days. Give yourself an out. Having that out ready on the tip of your tongue really helps you turn down those temptations. Mm -hmm. That's what I've learned. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. A hundred percent. And it was... um, because that's a really that's a really healthy way to kind of trick your brain mm-hmm. into making the hard decision, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I think it was I think it was Dax Shepard. I was listening to uh, one of his podcasts, and I'm gonna butcher this for sure. Cool. Um, even though I live my life by this, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know if this is what he said exactly. <laughs> this is what you uh, took from it. There you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. But you'll get the gist of it. He was just saying, like, as an addict, you like to live your life. At a 10 out of 10. You know, you're really, really chasing high. You like adrenaline rushes and you like these like moments of like absolute chaos and and the purest forms of experiencing ecstasy. And all of that is like, that's drug culture, that's partying, that's like the best night of my life. You know, you go so hard. And he was just saying, the best way to look at it is, you know, you can't sustain living at a 10. It's, it's not sustainable long-term. It's just not going to work. You're going to fizzle out. He's like, if you learn to live your life between a five and a seven, that is longevity. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and it's not always going to be the most fun, but you have to understand that that is where real life lives, yeah. between a five and a seven. And it's okay that you're not at a 10 today. It's okay that you're not at a 10 tomorrow. And it's okay that if you're not at a 10 for the next week, those 10s will come in your life. You will have these these little blips of, of these 10 moments in your life. And it's going to make them that much better when they do come. But if you can learn to just live between that, find peace between that 5 and a 7, and you're going to be so much happier. And that hit home like really, really hard for me. Because I think I, you do, you, you think, oh, I'm boring. Yeah. I'm yeah. boring. But you go, life is boring. Life is boring in, in a lot of ways. It's just like, and that's okay. Right. We get up, we do the same things, we eat, we go to the gym, we go to work. It's like, okay, nothing exciting happened today. Yeah, that's everyone. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And there can be other things that you do to like try to like get more excitement in your life, but it doesn't have to be a toxic thing. Yeah. That ruins your life. Absolutely. That's a great point. And I also think boring 
was like, I would drink the most when I was bored. And then pandemic yeah. hit and you're sitting at home alone and you're freaking bored out of your mind. Dude, yeah. And there are times where life is totally boring. I also think that I feel like I can say this with you because we both probably chase chaos in order to avoid boring. Totally. Sometimes when you get into that headspace, things aren't actually boring. They're steady and mm. it scares you. And mm. you're like, what? So I try to think when I'm like sitting and I'm like, quote, bored, am I bored or is it just steady right now? Mm -hmm. Do I just not have anything to worry about? Do I just have nothing that I'm maybe looking forward to? Is it just steady? Is that water still? And do I really want to wipe my hand in that water and make a freaking mess? Or can I just let it be still water for a little bit? Because it will get trickling at some point. Right, on its and, own. Uh, on its own. And then you're going to be present for that 10. Mm -hmm. You're going to actually remember that 10. Right. You're not going to have to go through your stories to look to see that 10 or right. hear it from somebody else or whatever. Wrapping up, when you think about all of these tools, they call them like tools in your toolkit, mm -hmm. to stay sober or to get through the Olympics of being yeah. <laughs> sober, what is a tool that you have found that you suggest people get for their tool? Honestly, I think this is one that's talked about a lot, but my best tool is like just like physical exertion, whatever that may be. Cool. Physical activity, finding ways to move your body. Cause like there are ways, there are ways to get these like endorphin highs. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. You can run one mile. Yeah. And there are little moments that, cause I think a lot of people, you know, can turn to booze or they can turn to drugs when when they're feeling depressed or anxious mm -hmm. like a big one for me was anxiety mm -hmm. was just feeling like i had so much on my plate and i just didn't know where to direct these feelings mm -hmm. and so now re removing alcohol removing drugs from my life i've found these little pockets of areas where like i can take my anxiety and i can kind of like release it surfing is a big one for me just going just going to the gym taking my dog to the beach you got to find these like healthy drugs yeah get addicted to riding your bike i know it sounds so stupid <laughs> no it doesn't but, at all but like find these little things that you replace that are like physical activity it it releases endorphins it makes you feel so good that is by far the best thing I think you can do for your mental health. I love that. That and like reality TV shows. No. Perfect. <laughs> do it. Get a Peloton or get a yeah. treadmill with a TV yep. on. Turn on Love is Blind and just <laughs> ride Walk. for hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for telling me your story and holy crap how far we have come. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Sarah Ashcraft, music by Honeydew, and recorded at The Wave. For more tips, tricks, and tools, subscribe to our mailing list by heading to theclearheadedpodcast.com and entering in your email. Talk to you next week.